0: Welcome to Talking Infrastructure, the fortnightly podcast brought to you by global infrastructure company, Acom. In this series, we'll be discussing the hot topics, key projects and innovations that are helping to solve some of the world's most complex infrastructure challenges. Hello and welcome to episode seven of the Talking Infrastructure podcast. My name's James Banks and I'm head of external relations in EMEA for Acom. Today's podcast is focusing on Project 13. Launched in May 2018 by the Institution of Civil Engineers and the Infrastructure Client Group, Project 13 aims to improve the way high performing infrastructure is delivered and managed. Now, sadly, my usual co host, Roma Agrawal, can't be here today as she's on maternity leave, which, uh, whilst of course, is great news for her and her family, is a little bit sad for us. So, to make up for it. And because we've got a spare microphone today, I have three guests, which is excellent. Firstly, we have Miranda Sharp, Director of Innovation at the Ordnance Survey. Miranda founded and leads a cross-functional practice which collaborates with enterprises from the public and private sectors, academic researchers, and entrepreneurs from the Ordnance Survey's Geovation community in the use and exploitation of place-based data. She advises on digital infrastructure as a member of the Mayor's Smart London Board and the Digital Framework Task Group. She's also a future leader for the ICE Project 13, which is lucky, and a trustee for the Centre for Cities and to the award-winning SME Sense. Welcome, Miranda.
1: Thank you very much.
0: My second guest is Lucy Howard, the UK Head of Transport at Turner and Townsend. Lucy brings her perspective as chair of the Future Leaders Group for Project 13 and her role in co-launching the project with ICG chair Dale Evans in May 2018. In addition to her experience at Turner and Townsend, Lucy has a wealth of experience as a principal contractor and award-winning chartered civil engineer. Lucy is a passionate advocate for broadening the appeal of STEM as a driver for wider social mobility, keeping women in construction and engineering and supporting the change in the industry's attitudes to mental health from her personal experiences. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you. Uh, And finally, but by no means least, we have ACOM's Head of Strategy for Civil Infrastructure, Dave Bedell. Within his portfolio, Dave provides direction to some of the UK's largest and most complex infrastructure programmes, including HS2, Thames Tideway and the Northern Powerhouse. A passionate advocate for inclusion and collaborative working, Dave was previously responsible for ACOM's highway operations in the UK and I and continental Europe. He is a chartered civil engineer with significant experience in the planning, design, procurement and implementation of major infrastructure works, both domestically and overseas. He resides on the main board of the ACE and is a member of the ICE Municipal Engineer Editorial Panel. Welcome, Dave. Thank you very much. I might also add, Dave, you're in an extremely privileged position because you are the first person to appear on two episodes of Talking Infrastructure.
2: Absolutely. That suggests I must have done something right first time around. So that's a very good omen indeed a to A very point brief in cameo
0: with. in episode one with a question from the audience. Indeed. And here we are in episode seven. So thank you, Dave, for your, your con- continued commitment. So let's get started. Project 13, what is it? Lucy.
1: (laughs) Thanks. So I think it's really important that whenever we're trying to impact and create industry change that we're very clear on our messages. So I'm actually going to read you out the definition of what Project 13 is, and then maybe we can discuss that in a bit more detail. So firstly, it's an industry-led movement to improve the way high-performance infrastructure is delivered. Secondly, it's moving from transactional business models to collaborative operating models. It's being adopted by some of the UK's largest infrastructure owners, and it's bringing together skills and technologies in a collaborative environment. And it's building a sustainable future for the construction industry, creating a more highly skilled workforce, and creating infrastructure that represents better value for all. And it's something that I've been personally involved with for two years as part of the Future Leaders Group, um, making sure that it starts to deliver on those four promises there.
0: Excellent. So in a nutshell, what is it? Why is it needed? Dave, I mean, why the, the model that used to exist or still does exist, really? What, you know, what's
2: wrong with it? Well, I don't think this is a new conversation. I mean, I think if we go back to the early 1990s and the report by Sir Michael Latham, which was, you know, instigated with a view to improving collaboration across the construction industry to the subsequent task force mobilised under the Labour government that Sir John Egan led and and the Rethinking Construction Report. How we bring together the industry holistically has always been a critical component of success. And the fact that we're still here nearly a quarter of a century beyond that initial conversation with Sir Michael Latham is, is probably an indicator that that collectively we've, we've not quite got that right. So we're in an age where there's an increasing number of disruptors, both technological and social, that are changing the needs of infrastructure users and, and therefore those that build, operate and maintain infrastructure. And I think that demands a, a different and more agile approach from the supply chain and, and, and those that are currently responsible for that.
0: And is that a key part of it, that agile approach? I mean, what what actually are we trying to achieve with this?
3: Well, I think there is, when you, you look at the uh, dictionary definitions of Project 13, um, there's a bit about why did we need to do it? And one of them is productivity. If you look at all the graphs of productivity, construction is falling behind where other industries have digitized and improved their levels of productivity. and there's another quite depressing graph which shows the level of digitization in the construction lags only that in agricultural in hunting in terms of its technological adoption. There was an unsustainable construction industry. Uh, people were fall- had falling margins and it led to a couple of high profile failings happened after. Project 13 was initiated, but certainly drew attention to its launch. And, and sort of finally, the, the challenge of digital transformation. We live in a hyper-connected world. We're awash with data. And so there's so much opportunity and, as you say, so much need to do something entirely different. Uh, and this wasn't the prerogative of one particular company or sector of the industry. This, as Lucy said, is an industry movement which needs to take place.
1: So, so how did it come about? So it's come about through the Infrastructure Client Group, Getting together and realising that they've got some very common problems about how they want to change the model from transactions to enterprises. Uh, Defining that problem over the course of a year from uh, setting out the report, that report transactions to enterprises, uh, setting out five work streams underneath that, bringing the industry together around those work streams, trying to get as wider input as possible, broader than just that client involvement and then deciding that they were going to put the best foot forward and distill that down into the launch that we talked about last year that I was involved in, of putting that forward in a blueprint, a commercial handbook and various other tools that support it.
0: You're, clear you're, Lisa, you're very, very invested in this and very keen to see it succeed, I, I imagine. You were 38 weeks pregnant at the launch, so very keen that you were there to be involved. Um, How has it been received?
1: I think... I certainly get a lot of inquiries about it. I've seen a lot of social media interest in it. There are the six early adopters that were involved in it originally. There's more people kind of wanting to get on board with it all the time. So I think there's a real appetite for Project 13 or something like it. Because you say that, you know, I'm personally invested in it, but I'm invested in really challenging around are we delivering what we set out to do and constantly feeding that in the process from my one seat and the, the others around our future leaders group so I'm invested in it you know I want it to be a success but we've got to keep challenging is it delivering and some of the ways that I think it is delivering is the amount of conversations that it is starting about this the input of the early adopters and the energy that they are throwing at this, the interest of other people to get involved in it.
0: Because, I mean, clearly it's key that industry take this forward because it's all very well, you know, coming up with something, writing some definitions, but unless that actually goes somewhere, you know, we're we're kind of back where we started. So, Dave, I mean, what are the barriers that Project 13
2: is going to face? I guess the barriers, and, and I was going to come in to, to answer the question from, from a different perspective, but I think the difference between Project 13 and what we've encountered previously is the fact that Project 13 has holistic engagement and stakeholder support. Um, so you know, there are a number of public, private and regulated client bodies who've come together as part of ICG to develop and integrate with the broader industry in order to take the initiative forward. And I think that's very different from having a, a public czar anointed to undertake a report and tell industry what good looks like. You know, we've, we've looked in a candid mirror as, as a collective industry and challenged ourselves as to what good needs to look like. And I think that's a very important differential from where you've been before. I think being around to the barriers, I think what we have with Project 13 is a concept supported by a framework of best practice and desired outputs. And that's essential for any journey. I think the catalyst that will dictate its success or otherwise are the behaviours that we begin to reshape within the industry. Behaviours will ultimately shape the culture and it's that cultural shift that Project 13 is aimed at at addressing. So I I really see some of the barriers as being um, some of those less tangible, less granular aspects, rather than you know the, the sort of specific rules within the model.
3: And I think that's what's going to make it hard. Absolutely. You know, it, it's you're asking an industry, and it's it's not one I know best, which you know is, is recognisable from the Egyptian construction of the pyramids. You're asking it to adopt current and emerging technology in assets which are going to last 150 years and have lasted for mm. 150 years and how how do you change all those approaches and all those things which have worked so well and what are the benefit you have to be clear about what those benefits are for changing we will be wrong to measure the success of the project over 12 months we've got to hold our nerve and say that you know it's it's about the lifetime performance of infrastructure it's about the systems and services which it delivers and uh, it's a difficult thing for often our politicians and our spenders to hear. But infrastructure isn't about just construction. It's about that its lifetime performance. And I quote Lucy, in fact, maybe I should let you say it, but we will be defined by it as in so much by what we don't build as what we build. And we need to be cognizant of the services which our assets provide, uh, not just get excited about the assets themselves. And, and that will take you know, a very long time. Our politicians are still very excited about announcing big spending projects rather than investing in order to move more people.
2: Absolutely right, Miranda. We're such an instantaneous society. You know, we, we talk about political stakeholders, the electorate, they all want instant results. But even even in the supply chain as corporate organisations, that, that that's a difficult sell for me to take my chief executive and say, well, we're going to invest in this major piece of infrastructure. And I'll tell you what the returns are going to be in 25 years' time. Mm. So it's very much a cultural shift in, in terms of being the catalyst for success.
1: But we've got a major opportunity because if we look at, you know, Dave, you mentioned about the... The six early adopters and, you know, the breadth of people that we've got involved there. So, I mean, most people in a significant size construction design operation are going to be involved in one of those six projects in some capacity. So I think, you know, one of the barriers is, as you said, Miranda, allowing this, the time that it needs to start to deliver the results. In this first year, what I've seen is early adopters Really getting together and starting to engage on the common challenges we've got a challenge as a movement to distill that and communicate what those challenges are in applying this practically to the other the waiting audience so we've got to get that that message out there but everybody has got the opportunity to be having a look at what those early adopters are doing and thinking, right, how do I provide feedback? How do I provide input? How do I look at that and think, is that delivering what we all collectively want from Project 13? And if it isn't, then what do we do about it? And it's that continuous challenge to deliver the best result as a collective rather than just kind of leaving the early adopters to, well, let's let them have a go at it and see how they get on. That's the shift that we need to make. And I think that is quite different too what we've had before in terms of, as you said, with the the Latham and the Egan, great as that was, it's how the community gets together and collaborates to solve the common problems.
2: I think there's an interesting aspect there, Lucy, that I think as an industry, we're evolving, we're maturing. I think we're at a point of recognition that because of some of those disruptors and because of some of those changing customer needs. The skills that we need to bring to provide those solutions is, is more diverse than it's ever been. And the way in which we need to bring those skills together needs a bit more agility. And what the Project 30 model does in the role of the integrator is allow you know, the collation of those different skill sets to come in, in an integrated body as opposed to with any one sort of organisational guys.
1: And it's going to need to be a two-way thing because if you think about, you know, the role of the integrator and that might be, you know, someone like your company or mine and there's going to be, you know, the requirements on what the integrator has to do to bring a team of people together. And, you know, when we're talking about planning a project, executing a programme, you've got to have that clear plan of what you're going to do, you know, an actual project plan. And we talk about involving the supply chain but some of the supply chain companies that will want to get involved and contribute their kind of technical expertise on solving the problems of, you know, how do you prefabricate an element of the structure really early on may not have the depth of expertise in how do you create a programme and fit that into a master plan. And so it's got to be a two-way relationship of helping each other fill the gaps I saw that you can really benefit from everyone's expertise.
3: And and that kind of model challenges everybody's notion of risk and contracting. And so previously, to take a very simplified view, people contracted in order to minimise risk, whereas we've got to, and and this is a a massive change, is contract in order to secure outcomes. Mm -hmm. And that vastly different approach will require everybody to change. So it isn't something that's going to happen at the contracting interface. It's about how people describe what they're delivering and how they manage the safety around which they're delivering because it's going to need to be a much more collaborative process. And one of the examples of the areas where we're sort of abutting is how do we describe safety liability in an integrated world You know, when, when we're coming at it as, a, as an integrated body, not as a, as a line of sight of contracts.
0: How does Project Thirteen address issues around procurement? You know, something that I'm, you know, I'm always talking to people here at Acom, and they're saying that you know there are issues around procurement by X, Y, and Z. What does Project Thirteen do to address those issues?
1: So it talks about getting the, the six underlying commercial principles right. So alignment, reward, risk, scale, time, those kind of principles, and. It's got that, it's got the shift from the transactions to the enterprise model, and it's got also kind of a shift in our thinking, that shift towards outcomes that Miranda was talking about. And it's also got the roadmap and uh, the maturity metrics behind it. But for me, the commercial principles, getting that well understood right at the beginning is the foundation for then being able to go on and wrap that up in a procurement process and wrap it up in what an organisational design looks like. You've got to really understand, you know, for this project, is the scale of it going to really allow you to invest heavily in Project 13? Are you going to be there long enough to be able to approach it from a production line mentality and look at how things are evolving as you go through and change them up? So, it's those commercial principles. If you can get that nailed in terms of your approach, I think that the rest of it flows from that. But that's only my view.
0: And when we talk about the, the outcomes, are we referring to the long term benefits? So, we're we looking at that 100, 150 years' time, what we're we going to look back on and see the true value of advanced
1: structure. so i think miranda mentioned something i said about we should be defined by what we don't build as much as what we do build so it's looking at infrastructure networks and saying okay well how do you best serve the customer you know by making sure that they've got a whether it's a reasonably priced secure supply of water telecoms whatever it is so it's around focusing on on those outcomes and making sure that are the incentivisation arrangements, are the contract arrangements, are the behaviours, as you said, Dave, all lined up to deliver those outcomes.
3: And I think the example I've heard quoted is instead of specifying precisely the staircase width in the newly remodelled bank station, you define outcomes in terms of customer throughput Yeah. so that we're not defining the, board, the bits that you need to dig with, but you think about the customer journey when you, when you deliver it.
0: Uh, you mentioned earlier about digital transformation. How do we ensure that Project 13 isn't just a fad and that it keeps up with the way the technology is changing, the way that we need to adopt and write and on cue, oh, the lights go off in our room, no, they're back <laughs> on, we're okay, digital transformation in action.
3: So how do we make sure that digital transformation isn't a fad?
0: Well, no, I'm just thinking about, I'm more, more about Project 13. How do we ensure that this in five years' time, ten years' time, we're not talking about why Project 13 didn't work? Uh,
3: well, so digital transformation was a strand of, of Project 13, and to an extent, it has, has a life of its own under the National Infrastructure Commission's government endorsed report on data for the public good. And what that task group and, and that element of Project 13 is going on to deliver is you know, we live in a hyper-connected world. There are sensors everywhere. A lot of them are in our phones that we carry everywhere. So there's, we're awash with all this data. And we should be using that data, and we, we are in a position to be able to use that data to better design services which come out of infrastructure. We, as consumers, expect those services to be integrated and responsive, and that the data exists for those services to be designed like that. Uh, and I, I mean services to be designed like that are based on the assets which already exist or may not already exist. It isn't all about new assets at all. Uh, and what the digital element of Project 13 is continued, as Lucy says, is evolving in order to do, is enable infrastructure clients um, and those that serve them to use digital effectively for the better performance of their assets. And I think one thing that we're learning as a community is you can't put digital in a box. You can't just transform that asset or that bridge. Um, It affects everything you do. And, And if you try and write a digital strategy, you end up going into of accounting and and HR practices, and because you have so much data. So often the challenge is making that data interoperable and shareable and useful, and that in itself is a great deal of work, because a lot of the data we have now is in crystalline PDFs at the bottom of filing cabinets somewhere, but it's relevant, it's just as relevant as the data which is beaming off sensors um, that are measuring bridge strain. And uh, so we are are working with clients and suppliers to make sure that what we are doing supports them in their current operation, will support their future operation, but also supports sort of the historic operation and in a way that sort of backwards and forwards integrates uh, for the long term value of our infrastructure services.
1: And it's the theme that keeps cropping up the most with our early adopters, from what I've seen with the uh, reports that we've published, uh, the (coughs) challenge of digital transformation, how do they address that? Mm.
3: Yeah, and so there there are groups, you know, and interestingly, uh, when you get the digital transformation task group together, they very much value the um, opportunity to sit in a homework club and learn from each other and they very much value that. Uh, The thing they will all be slightly gripey about is when vendors come in and try and tell them the answer and the answer is so often dependent on individual client circumstances and their journey that there isn't one answer uh, and the need for collaboration is, is high. Uh, I wonder if is that the kind of thing that you're hearing. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's not. I, mean, I think that touches upon another, another point where, you know, one of the challenges with Project Thirteen is that you're trying to make a major shift in how we do things, with asset owners and programs that are already, mm-hmm. you know, trundling down the road along a certain path. And fair enough, you know, I don't think they've been kind of desperately waiting for Project 13 to shine a light on everything that they need to do because, you know, all these clients were working with them all, you know, and they've already got their own programmes of, you know, continuous improvement that they're progressing. But it's that trying to use Project 13 as a focus for a new, renewed effort involving the whole supply chain to try and achieve those Best outcomes.
3: It's not just the supply chain, is it? So it's, it's you, you've got to enable the client and the owner mm-hmm. to behave in different ways yeah. as well. Yeah,
1: right from the top down to
3: the I mean, rest I'd, of the I'd,
2: supply I'd, chain. I guess I, I have a, a more simplistic answer to the question that Miranda alludes to there, and that is that the change and the difference as to whether or not P13 will succeed or whether it will become another white elephant initiative that we're talking about with somebody in the future... I think the difference now is that it's been born out of necessity rather than desire. So those those shift changes, travel trends are changing, consumer demands are changing, how infrastructure is funded is coming to a tipping point in, in, in terms of that. So we have to do something different. Just doing the same is not going to respond to some of these disruptors and some of the peripheral issues that's shaping the infrastructure sector. So I very much see it as, well, why will it work? Well, because we have to make it work this time.
3: And if it doesn't work, it wasn't the right thing. And it's sufficiently open as a project that, you know, nobody's giving anybody a blueprint. There are guidance documents, but it's designed to be iterated and changed. And if it doesn't work, then we're trying to promote a culture of, well, why didn't it work? What do we need to change in order to make it more sustainable? Because I suspect what works for the early adopters won't necessarily work for the majority or, you know, the late majority or whoever comes along next.
1: If I think about when I first joined the industry... I remember seeing kind of, you look at people that are maybe 15 years ahead of you and you think, you know, right, what are they getting plaudits for? And it was generally, right, I have delivered a major station upgrade on time, on budget, you know. And I think we're going to be being asked to deliver an awful lot more than that. If you listen to the transport ministers they're talking about. You know, we need to be able to demonstrate that for every pound that we're investing in transport, we are impacting society by getting more women employed. You know, we are changing social mobility by getting people from, you know, more economically deprived regions. You know, we're going to be being challenged if we are going to be funded, particularly in infrastructure, to demonstrate that we are doing the absolute most with it's, that pound.
2: It's the legacy piece, isn't yeah. it? It's, you know, do, do we just leave a product? Do we leave a piece of infrastructure, a piece of tarmac? Or do we leave a legacy, which picks up some of those sort of social trends that, that Lucy refers to in those values?
1: Of voter satisfaction. And those are really good
3: points and, and they will focus everyone's view on well what is infrastructure for? You know, it's it's about the services it delivers. Well, I don't suggest we go there, but you know, there's the dystopian, utopian view of mobility. You know, the more transport you build, the more people will travel. And that's been the same since the Settle to Carlisle railway. And you know, so do we want to keep building more, more ways of travelling or, or what? You know, if we all imagined that we all had perfectly attentive, self-driving pods at our, our every whim, um, you wouldn't be able to move on the streets for everybody just being congested and in their little personal pod. And is that really what we want? Uh, so I, I wonder what the next hard set of questions will be. I, I think the point Lucy makes is a valid one to pick up as well in that
2: infrastructure is not cheap. You know, infrastructure is a significant investment from, from the public purse and I think you know, there has always been pressure on infrastructure spending competing against my motive avenues of spending, whether it's social, healthcare, policing, crime security, and those issues are probably more prevalent today than they've ever been. So the need to provide and demonstrate a better return for that investment in terms of infrastructure is, is a really, really valid point. And it does demand a more agile approach that brings together different thinking, different skill sets in order to deliver that different value.
3: And including it needn't just be new infrastructure. Mm-hmm. We might just be repurposing an existing asset to deliver a, a better service, however we choose to define service. And I think we've got to be bold in how we think about those.
1: Yeah, we spent less on transport because we improved the communications network.
3: Mm. Right, so we didn't invest in a new track-side signalling system because we could move more people from their home to the office more quickly by building a car park.
0: Uh, Miranda, you touched on this a minute ago, but where do we go from here?
3: Uh, so I think, yeah, what I said a minute ago is it's continuously evolving. And I'll be interested to see what the you know the early adopters, as they mature in their approach and as they talk about the benefits um, they're seeing. Um, I want to see what the next wave do and how, how they are sold onto the idea and what benefits they start to describe that they're looking for. And also and in parallel, the digital transformation work continues and and how do we mature that debate? So that people aren't frightened of technology, you know, it's embraced and used as a tool, and isn't a headache. I think well, that would be success, but that's that's where we're going. Where where do we go from here? I mean, as as Lucy says, you know, Project 13 has a has a great deal of interest, not just in the UK but around the world. And uh, people are looking to us, as they have done historically, for views from the UK about about how we implement the systems and the tools and the approaches of, of Project 13. And it'll be just as interesting to see what different cultures and different ways of working take on the, the Project 13 methodologies.
0: Uh, so I might just quickly go around the room, and I'm, I'm sort of springing this on you a little bit, but if I can ask you one, we've talk, I think you've all touched on the same element, but what does success look like for you in Project 13? If we need to win over the political stakeholders, if we need to win over the wider industry, what is the one key thing you'd like them to take away? What is the
2: vision that you have for Project 13? In no particular order. We're all nervously looking at <laughs> each other to see who's going to go first. Look, I, I, I think for me, where, where we are is we, we have the concept. The next stage of evolution is going through proof of concept. Does, does it deliver? as intended. The outcomes in terms of that barometer that we use to measure success, I think it's around certainty of delivery. You know, the concept behind Project 13 is bringing more certainty of delivery in improved productivity to the infrastructure sector. And it's that certainty of delivery, I think, which is the keynote measurement. Can we really stand up to our political stakeholders and say, well, okay, if, if you give me that million pounds, we will deliver this piece of infrastructure when we say we will, For that cost and it will give the return that we've said it will and that's the confidence word that's the certainty of delivery and and, and that's what success looks like and that will give us a huge amount of credibility in terms of that sort of competing environment that we were talking around a few moments ago
3: I think my trite answer is sustainable and high-performing infrastructure so when we have succeeded Um, Very confident when. Yeah, that's better than saying if. (laughs) (laughs) When we have succeeded, there will be high-performing infrastructure in the UK which will deliver all of those things around productivity and growth and employment and happiness. And we will have designed it and delivered it and continue to run it in a way that means it is sustainable for the future.
2: That sustainability piece is... um, has many dimensions as well. You know, ensuring that we have the skills to continue to manage and maximize that asset is a key component of, of Project thirteen as well. I think I think Lucy you were talking about the commercial model early and the commercial principles and ensuring that that's critical, but the attraction and retention of skills as this, you know, the onus of what infrastructure serves, uh, how it serves society and what that needs to look like is equally important.
1: Challenger on. Right. So I think that it's where clients say, I know how to do this from my early adopters experience to give me certainty on my programmes. Then it's moving on to I can replicate it across programmes and I can do that because the supply chain is saying I want to work for clients that use Project 13 models and I know how to and I can get future talent engaged on working on those programmes because that's what we need to do because of the skills crisis attract people to a you know a more interesting technology driven future of construction once you've got that the customer and their representatives in parliament on both sides are behind it and because you've got that you've got a steady pipeline for infrastructure for decades rather than 3 or 4 years
2: everything lucy said
0: yeah, what she says
1: <laughs> the benefits are going last.
0: Fantastic. Look, I think that's probably a really good place to end things today. Fascinating subject and and far more wide ranging than I expected it to be. So thank you very much. Thank you very much to my guests today, to Lucy, Miranda and Dave. And as this is the, the last in this first series of Talking Infrastructure, I should take the opportunity as well to say a very big thank you to all of the guests who've taken part in the the seven episodes and of course for all those people who have downloaded and subscribed a huge thank you for listening i will be back in a couple of months with a new series of talking infrastructure until then take care and goodbye